Hello, friends. Welcome back to the Self-Care Keto Podcast. I am your host, Jess Reed. And this week, we're going to be digging into an episode called How to Stop Using Willpower. Before we get into the details of the episode, I just wanted to give you guys a quick heads up because I don't know if you're thinking about Easter or Passover, but it is coming in hot. I can't believe it's sneaking up on all of us. But yeah, are you freaking out about the sugar and all of the food temptations and not offending people with what you want to eat differently and are just not even sure how to navigate it whatsoever? Are you already mentally just telling yourself that you will get back on the bandwagon after the next holiday? It does not have to be that way, you guys. Easter or Passover or whatever holiday you're celebrating, it can be just another day where you're taking care of yourself through what you eat. You're practicing self-care through your nutrition. Even if it looks a little bit different than the other days, that is still the goal every single day is to take good care of yourself through what you eat. And I want this to be a holiday that you actually enjoy because it's your holiday too. I know so many of us are just so self-sacrificing and so um, you know, self-abnegating and then we wind up resentful and exhausted and then we're self-soothing with food even if we didn't even plan to do it. So that does not have to be the way that it is, you guys. And I have a tool that I wanted to make sure that you know about. It is my self-care keto holiday guide and I have actually slashed the price to be just $5 this month because I really wanna make sure that it can get into the hands of absolutely Absolutely everybody because it's a life-changing tool. It'll totally change your holiday for the better. And you can go check that out at theketofit.com slash holiday. So for this week's episode, I am talking with Jimmy Moore. He is living low carb man on Instagram and pretty much everywhere. He is just one of the OGs in the keto space. Um, live in La Vida low carb. You may have heard of him. So this is actually the second time that I've done an episode with him. And it's so fun because this week we were talking about how to stop using willpower by actually changing your beliefs to change your behavior. So if you're miserable and sick of your willpower running out and you're wondering how to make your weight loss journey easy and enjoyable, you are going to love this episode. You're going to hear about why we actually need to get down to the core of our beliefs in order to change our behavior long-term. We're going to be telling you about the scientific evidence for how your brain actually filters out information that contradicts your beliefs, including the beliefs that are holding you back. You're going to learn four questions that you can ask yourself to help you rewire any belief that's causing you to self-sabotage. You'll learn how to program new helpful beliefs into your brain so that your self-care behavior flows effortlessly. And we're chatting about thinking of beliefs as a playground instead of a battleground. So on to the episode. So guys, that right there is my friend Jess Reed. You may know her as The Keto Fit over on Instagram. Had you on my podcast, what was it, last year? Um, yeah. And talked uh, a lot about uh, different emotional things. Emotional eating. What's that? We talked about emotional eating. Emotional eating, exactly. Mm -hmm. And so you're so good at this mindset stuff, Jess, that I just had to get you to come back because... A lot of people are very interested in changing behaviors like eating sugar or mm -hmm. like going to exercise or any behavioral change that they're looking for. But the problem is they don't know that in order to get there, they have to like dig deeper and figure out yeah. why do they do those things? What is the belief system that's in place? So why don't we kind of start there? What is it about beliefs that people are so hard-nosed and they dig in their heels this is what i believe i'm not changing 
Oh my gosh, yes. Well, what a loaded question that is. So I think we should kind of maybe start with like, just kind of a description of what our beliefs and where do they come from? And how does how are they incorporated into our behavior? Yeah. How does it all start um, yeah. to have that domino effect? So basically, we can kind of think of ourselves as just like multi layered people. So maybe like an onion is a really good metaphor. So look around at your life. And the what you're experiencing your reality currently is the results of in your life. That's what you're experiencing. And that's what other people can see on the outside is your results. And so the layer right below that is your behavior, right? And so we just think change my behavior, get a different result, a plus b equals c, right? Absolutely true. Yes. And so this is where most people stop, though, they just stay at the level of change my behavior to get a different belief. I just need to break this habit. I just need to change this habit. I just need a little bit more willpower. I need a little bit more motivation. I need a little bit more discipline. But it seems like why doesn't that last, right? Maybe I just need a little bit more information. I'll listen to another sermon. I'll listen to another podcast. I'll read another book, whatever it might be. But all of that just seems to be so short lived, because it falls a little short from actually getting down to the core of who we are. So what influences our behavior is our thoughts and our feelings. And what ultimately influences our thoughts are our beliefs. And our beliefs are the very bottom layer, the core of who we are, the center of the onion. And so in order to actually change our behavior long term, not just temporary behavior modification, but actually true transformation from the inside out. And, you know, we've seen this, we've experienced seen this in other people's lives. There are transformation stories that really can happen. Why isn't it happening for us? It's probably because we haven't actually gotten down to the actual beliefs that are causing us to self-sabotage. Well, and here's the problem. I don't think a lot of people know why they believe what they believe. They just yeah. believe it. They've always believed it. They've been set in their ways. And yeah. then you challenge them on it. Well, what, what's that about? Where's that from? Oh, no, just believe it. And it's yeah. that just that is part of the sabotage here yeah. is people believe things that they don't know why they believe them. And I will mm -hmm. make the argument that a lot of the reasons why they believe those things is somebody in their life influential, yeah. either through force, through trauma, or just very influential in their lives told them this yeah. belief. And then they just took it on carte blanche without any vetting it out. You're so right. And let's just reframe that a little bit also through a lens of self-compassion, because you're right. Most of our beliefs we've just inherited. Like we didn't actually choose them. It's just that all of our beliefs, in fact, most of our beliefs are actually formed between the ages of zero and seven, when our brains are just being hardwired, right? That's the most formidable time in our lives. And we're not consenting adults. We don't know what the heck is going on. We're just literally getting this worldview poured into us, kind of just based on chance. Like, where were you born? Who are your parents? What is your culture? All of these things. And that's being poured into you. And it gets cemented into your beliefs. And most people actually never change them. They never think to question them. They just accept it. Like you said, carte blanche, this is universal truth. And everybody else is wrong. Anything else is wrong if it challenges your belief system. But we need to have a little bit of compassion for ourselves that number one, we didn't choose these things. Um, and number two, it is actually really, really scary to try to change your beliefs. Because in order to change your beliefs, um, there is quite a bit of um, wrestling that needs to take place, which is the authority figures in my life were wrong. Yes. And they hurt me. Maybe yes. not, maybe not um, intentionally, but the impact is still there nonetheless. And also there's so much risk to changing your belief because we all have that need for tribalism, a sense of community and belonging. Yes. What are we going to lose? 
So anytime we're having trouble actually adjusting a belief, a really good question to ask ourselves is, how is this, how is holding onto this belief still benefiting me? Because it is. Yeah. And I think people are very happy being in tribes. Yeah. Um, and I've seen it in the online world. I've been out here a million years, it feels like. And I've seen the tribes form. Oh, well, yeah. I'm paleo. Oh, I'm keto. Oh, I'm carnivore. And I think a lot of that tribalism is a belief system. And look, there's nothing wrong with that. Finding your people. I found you because you call yourself the keto fit. So it's like... <laughs> thing that you kind of go into tribes and have belief systems that unite you. I think where the problem comes into play is where you must fit within this box of what this belief system is, or you're no longer a part of the club. And I've yeah. seen that quite a bit where the diet camps kind of like say, no, this is the right way to do keto. This is the right way to do carnivore. And yeah. there is no right way when everybody makes their own choices about what's best for them. Yes, you're so right. And you know, we don't just see it with diet, we see it with absolutely everything. We see it with religion, we see it with politics, we see it with cultural norms, everything. Because um, anything that is not what you believe can feel like a threat yes. um, to, to you. Um, and so you do actually need to have somewhat of a sense of safety in order to be willing to change your beliefs. And we need to have a sense of curiosity. Um, we need to have a sense of play. I don't know about you, Jimmy. I think we have a similar background. Like we were both kind of like brought up in Christian environment. I think we even share the same Christian college background and everything. And so it was hardwired into me that the Leafs are a battleground. Like we're in a war, we're in a spiritual war, everything is war, right? And so I've made a massive shift in my life. It took a long time, but I made a shift in my life from beliefs are a battleground to beliefs are a playground. And it's okay to try on different beliefs. And I'm not saying change your values, keep your values, right? But there are multiple different beliefs that you could try on and just ask yourself not, is this true or is this false? But is this helping me or is this harming me? And it's true that there's gonna be something helpful about it and also something harmful and which is more. And what is authentically you? Like that's the journey I've been on the last few years myself, been writing very vocally about it, doing reels and all kinds of things online mm -hmm. um, of who am I? Because yeah. when you start challenging beliefs, you do chip away at that kind of formation of what you think you are and who you think yeah. you actually are. But once you start, like you said, peeling back the layers of the onion a bit, you kind of go, whoa, that belief yeah. system has just been there, but I never really kind of bought into it. Now, this is the real me. And of course, all the outside goes, oh my gosh, you've changed yeah. so much. And it's like, yeah. no, I'm actually living in my true authenticity for the first time in my life. It's so true. And that really is such a journey of self-love and self-acceptance. I heard this beautiful quote and it said, to love yourself long-term is to attend a thousand funerals of the person you used to be. Yes. And to love somebody else long-term is the same thing, to attend a thousand funerals of the person they used to be. We have to allow ourselves to evolve and adapt throughout life. We have to allow the people that we love to evolve and adapt throughout life. Otherwise we get to our deathbed and the top regret of dying people is, I wish I lived a life more true to myself, not the one that other people expected of me. And it's yeah. exhausting, Jess. It's yeah. so exhausting. Okay. Mm -hmm. Who am I supposed to be to so-and-so? Okay, I got to be them to that. And then over here, okay. And then you tiptoe around them trying to remember all the little things that you have told them about mm. the version of who you are, not the real you. It, it's, it's stressful. And yeah. we wonder why we don't want to change. We don't want to yeah. change because that's a lot of stuff to deal with. Yeah, it is stressful. Um, 
to keep that up, but it also is serving a purpose. And that's why we have to, again, return to that lens of self-compassion. That's called our ego. And all of us learn that in childhood. When we're very young, my daughter's still five. She doesn't really have this yet. She's just starting to get there. Like this idea of like, who do people want me to be? What role do I need to play? What mask do I need to wear in order to get my needs met? My needs for love, my needs for safety and security, all of those things. We at some point in childhood learned those things. And then it becomes literally integral to our survival, it, or at least it feels that way to our brain. And when we're a child, it's true. Like we can't actually take care of ourselves. We do need to somewhat play a role and please other people, please our teachers, please our parents, raise our hand to go to the bathroom instead of just get up whenever we feel like it. And it gets conditioned and conditioned and conditioned. And unless we, um, you know, become adults that have our own sense of safety, we will forever be living out that like childhood feeling of like, I need to get my needs met, just people please do whatever I have to do to survive. And it is really challenging. And I would argue that's the vast majority of the population. I, yeah. I so, I find it hard to find people who are authentic these days, Jess, and from friends and even like, I'm, I'm looking for a girl in my life. Yeah. Finding somebody like that is so hard because there's yeah. people that put on a face and and I see it a little more clearly because I've done a lot of this work on my own belief system. I see when somebody's BSing me and it's like, yeah. no, no. And I'll call them out on it like right away. Yeah. And yeah. people are just like, oh, no, don't, don't, don't shine a light on me. I'm supposed yeah. to be fooling you. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. We all do it in some way, shape or form. And some of us are further along on the journey than others. I know you've done a ton of personal healing work and trauma work, and I have too. And it is a journey, you know, we will always continue to uncover beliefs or uncover things about ourselves that are making us uncomfortable, little lies that we're still believing that we're just like, oof, yeah, this is holding me back. And what am I going to do about this? It's gonna, it's gonna feel scary to try to let that go. Um, but it's also scary to think, what if I never let this go? What will the impact of that be? Take supplements and wonder if they're doing anything for you. Specifically, do you know your mineral levels? Wouldn't it be great if you knew what you were absorbing, what you are not absorbing or have too little of, and what you have too much of? All of this seems very complicated, but it's really very simple. Thanks to our friends at Upgraded Formulas, they have a very special upgraded hair test kit, which will test your minerals and other things in your hair and you get a consultation with it as well to see exactly which minerals you are most deficient in. Upgraded Formulas has a stabilized nano minerals technology. I've been telling you about their magnesium that's been helping me with my sleep. Now they have a full line of products along with this upgraded hair test kit that you need to find out what your mineral content is. Again, upgradedformulas.com and you can get 15% off of your entire order using the coupon code Jimmy at checkout. Upgraded formula. Well, and let's go there. Let's talk yeah. about people who refuse to change their beliefs. What is the price they pay? Because they pay a pretty hefty price yeah. for holding on to beliefs that aren't their own. They never really change their behavior. They need to get to a, a greater place in their life because that's the fulfillment of their heart and their mind and all, everything about who they are. Yeah. What's going to happen to those people who say, eh, Life is what it is. I'll just keep yeah. being what I am. Yeah. I mean, it's a mediocre life, right? It's, it's the life where you get to the end of your life and you're at your deathbed and you're, you're filled with regret. But in the meantime, even before then, you know, forget about fast forward. Future me seems so far off. What about today me? What yeah. about the me every day at the end of my day, numbing out from a life that I'm unhappy with and filled with bitterness and frustration and resentment and fear 
and anger and all of these things. I'm exhausted. You know, I'm sacrificing myself and putting myself on the back burner for everybody else. And what am I doing? I'm numbing. I'm self-soothing with food, with alcohol, with online shopping, with whatever vice may have you. And you feel completely out of integrity and you feel stuck. You just called out a whole bunch of people that are addicted to Amazon Prime. So, Oh my gosh. Yeah. (laughs) It's a thing. Yeah. I have a friend in my life right now who just confessed that to me. They're like, Jimmy, I'm, I kind of have a problem. I'm, I'm shopping as my addiction. I'm like, okay, what are we talking about? A few hundred dollars a week. I'm like, yeah, that's a problem. That's a big problem. (laughs) We all do this. We hop from one maladaptive self-soothing skill to another that feels a little bit less maladaptive. Like maybe it was food and it's like, okay, now I'm, I'm doing the keto thing. And so I switched to alcohol or, okay, now I realize that alcohol is actually holding me back. So I switched to online shopping. Like, yeah, it happens all the time. Well, and we justify it because, oh, it's stuff I need for the house. It's stuff for the kids, yeah. stuff for the stuff for the stuff for the. And it's like, no, it's just stuff. It don't, it's stuff yeah. you don't need. So. Yeah. Yeah. But it lights up the brain, you know, it, it, it gives us that, that ding that we need. So does going on a walk. So does <laughs> uh, uh, jumping in an ice bath, for example, like what yeah. I've been doing. So does a lot of things. <laughs> yeah, you're exactly right. And that's, you know, I know that you're passionate about that. And I am too about helping my clients expand their self-soothing toolkit. It's not wrong to self-soothe. We need to self-soothe. But what happens is self-sabotage is when you're self-soothing in a way that's actually harming you. And so people choose those harmful ones willfully when there are non-harmful ones out there. What's up with that? What's going on there? Yeah. I mean, I think some of it is like a lack of um, information or a lack of ever being taught proper, not proper, but helpful self-soothing skills, right? So like think about the, maybe the emotional intelligence or the emotional capacity or regulation that your parents had or your caregivers had or your teachers had and the generation that you grew up in, right? So we're becoming a lot more conscious in today's day and age, thankfully, for more helpful um, mechanisms like you've mentioned, like ice baths or grounding or tapping or breathing or whatever, but you know, journaling. Yeah, exactly. There's so many that are available to us, yoga, but you know, I grew up in the 1980s, you know, maybe yoga started in the 1990s and everybody's like, what is this woo-woo business, right? And like now, you know, it's, it's tapping or whatever it might be, but we're evolving. We're learning more self-soothing skills that are helpful, but are actually, they're nothing new. They're actually pretty ancient. It's just resurfacing, thankfully. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of it is that we were never taught anything. We just kind of model whatever it is that we saw our parents do to cope. Um, and usually it's lashing out with anger you know, it's not actually doing anything helpful. We just kind of end up monkey see, monkey do, you know, not to just kind of boil it down simply, you know. And I love that you mentioned that it's kind of a lack of knowledge. I think one of the most basic things that people can use to calm themselves, soothe themselves in the midst of all the stresses of the world and all the everything is your breath. Like yeah. just, that's why I loved yoga because it taught me focus on the breath and uh, and now getting in the ice baths that first 90 seconds is all just getting through it and it's mm-hmm. like this is so easy guys yeah. and it can do so much to change like even the wiring in your brain mm-hmm. um, about how you feel it's it's amazing if you're not being conscientious of your breath not constantly you're gonna mm-hmm. breathe anyway but to be like deliberate about yeah 
and letting that go. I don't think enough people even do that basic. Yeah, you're right. And I think that one thing that we kind of have been failed in a certain area is the um, somatic aspect of needing to self-regulate. So it has to do with the nervous system. It has to do with the body, not just our thoughts. Our thoughts are important, but when you are in a stressed out, activated fight or flight state, you cannot thought work your way out of that. You cannot journal your way out of that. No. Your brain compels you to eat because that actually helps your nervous system to switch states. That's why you go from fight or flight. They call the, the um, parasympathetic, the rest and digest. And so yeah. there is literally a physiological benefit to you emotionally eating. We talked about this a little bit in our last episode, but there are other ways in your body to get that same type of um, somatic release or switching states. And so for you, like the, the ice bath or the breathing, that is a body-based way to actually help yourself get what you need to self-soothe. Yeah. Have you uh, done any work with cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT? Is that yes. a Yes. And I think that it has its place. I just think that it has to be holistic. I think we've stretched, we've um, stressed so much the mind work and I love mindset work. That's what I do. I'm, I'm a coach, but I can very much tell when my clients don't need um, a journal prompt, you know, they need to physiologically switch states first. It's like when your kid is having a tantrum, like I learned this as a parent, like you can't actually parent your kid, like reason with them when they're having a tantrum. No, they're, they can't listen. They're in their amygdala. They're in their fight or flight state. The first thing that you have to do is help them regulate. So you have to co-regulate with them. I give my daughter a hug. I get down on her level on the floor. I give her a hug. I say, let's breathe together. And we breathe together until she calms down. I can't tell her like reason with her until she's finally calmed down. And yes. we have to do the same thing with ourselves. I'm imagining all those people that get upset in stores like Karen's, the Karen's out there. Does this all go give them a big hug and it's yeah. going to be okay. And then you can reason yeah. with them. But when That's they're true. all riled up, no. I know. You're, instead, you see parents and they don't know. They, they just don't. They're really just embarrassed. And then they're operating in their amygdala. So then they're screaming at their kid because they're embarrassed. And they're like, knock it off. Or that's what you get. Or blah, 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 blah. I'm like, that doesn't help. It's completely not helpful. They're still unregulated. They can't listen to you. And then they're stressing out everybody around them. So it's just not good. They're all, yeah. they're all in their sympathetic nervous system. They can't rest and digest at that point. We all are so often. Yeah, that's, that's the pandemic. We are all in fight or flight just way too much. Yes. Yeah. So let's apply this to food because a mm -hmm. lot of people that follow me and you, um, this, this is it. And by the way, I love that you're a coach that goes here because yeah. so many coaches, and we need them, Teach the knowledge about the diet, teach the knowledge about some of the physiology, the insulin response, blood sugar response, inflammation, yeah. all that kind of thing. But if you don't get to the heart of your belief about why you think you need that chocolate-covered donut with the sprinkles on top, then you're never yeah. going to change your behavior. And so yeah. how do you broach that subject? Do you, do you start with the mind when you start coaching clients and then work your way as to how it applies to food at that point? Or do you kind of mix it both simultaneous? How do you teach that? Yeah, that's so good. And thank you for pointing that out. And I just have so much love and respect for all of my colleagues in the space who have so much more training in like, um, they're trained nutritionists, dietitians, holistic practitioners, all of those things. I knew that I wanted to become a weight loss coach. And I knew that I wanted to get way more training as a life coach than actually in nutrition training. 
because I firmly believe that it's not that we don't know what to do. It's not a lack of information. It's a lack of motivation. You can Google everything for free and I'm not diminishing um, what the educators are doing. I think it's so valuable to work with somebody yep. to get all of the information that you need in one place and to get the accountability and all of those things. That's so valuable because it can be overwhelming, right? There's so many different opinions on this is the right way to keto and this is the wrong way to keto and all of that. But I knew that the niche that I really wanted to go for was the mindset work. Because yeah. for myself, that was my experience. And I think a lot of times we start to heal in the way that we wish we could have received healing, right? And so for me, it wasn't that I didn't know what to do. Some of it was. Um, when I first discovered low carb, as opposed to counting calories, I was like, what the heck? Why didn't anybody ever tell me about this, right? So we do need the right information. We need the right strategies. But we also really need to, again, you know, dig deeper below the surface. Like at a certain point, you do know all the information you need to know. And you're sitting there thinking, I know everything I'm supposed to do. Why am I just not doing it? And that's where we need to uncover the deeper stuff. So as a trained life coach, I have learned basically that fundamentally, everybody is creative, resourceful, and whole. I hold all of my clients in the highest regard. The wisdom that they need is already inside of them. I'm just helping to draw it out. And it's absolutely incredible what happens when somebody just starts talking in a safe space and I'm reflecting back to them what they're saying. They're saying the answers right out loud. They're telling me all of the stuff that they were conditioned as a little kid and it's still stuck with them, right? They're telling me their life story. Of course, I ask about past history. How long have you struggled with your weight? What types of messages did you receive about food, weight, and body image? And you realize it's still holding you back. I was just talking with a client the other day and she was sharing basically about how, you know, the first time she went on a diet, she was nine years old. And I, I asked her, what's the first um, time that you felt shame about your body size or food or weight or body image? She was like seven, maybe younger. And yeah. she was compared to Aunt Sally. I'm going to change the name, but she was compared to Aunt Sally. And Aunt Sally was like easily over a hundred pounds overweight. And nobody really respected Aunt Sally. Everybody thought that Aunt Sally was kind of, you know, a failure um, kind of really undisciplined. She wasn't held in high regard. But here is this little seven-year-old girl. Um, every time she goes to grab a second helping of food, they'll say, oh, she's just like Aunt Sally. Or, you know, they come around family members, pinch your little cheeks. You're just like, you look just like Aunt Sally. And so what do you receive about yourself when you're a child? This is so similar to what I went through. But there's something wrong with me. No matter what, I'm going to end up like Aunt Sally. Um, it's kind of like my destiny. Um, and so she takes that on. And in this area of her life, now she's 60 years old, still feeling like I'm a failure. No matter what I do, it's hopeless. It's pointless. All of these things. And these, these beliefs are so set in our subconscious. And yes. unless we draw them out and start to question it, looking at it first through the lens of self-compassion, it can't be angry at yourself. It can't be judgmental towards yourself. A lot of us have self-awareness. We know where it came from, but we lack the self-compassion because we're like, and I need to get it together. And why can't I overcome this? So we're not actually seeing it through the lens of self-compassion first. And this explains, Jess, why even after people have a weight loss success, they experience body dysmorphia. Yes. They see themselves at the, as that fat uh, ant that everybody mm -hmm. thought they were. And yeah. even though physically in a mirror, you're looking back at that image, it's not the same. And I can tell you this personally myself, when I lost 180 pounds, I still felt fat in that yeah. moment. And it was the weirdest yeah. thing because it was the lowest I'd ever been in my adult life in weight. And yet I still felt, believed yeah. in my yeah. head that I was that bigger person. And that's a big 
issue. And I'm sure you deal with that in the post weight loss for a lot of your clients too. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Body dysmorphia is something that I struggled with as well. I was uh, a fat kid and basically I reached a normal weight by the time I hit puberty through very disordered means, but I always saw myself as overweight my, the, the entire rest of my life. And still, I, until, you know, I kind of discovered keto and started then having the mental energy or capacity to start to do some of this inner healing work. But yeah, my whole life, I struggled with body dysmorphia. It's a, it's quite a thing that a lot of people are struggling with. And, you know, um, we tend to think like, you're talking about how does this relate with food, like these limiting beliefs, there's so many of them. Another one that I hear all the time is, why can't I just eat normal and be skinny like everybody else? Yeah. And so here we are just like valuing body size above all else. But what we don't realize is even these people that are in a smaller body than you may not be healthy, may not be metabolically healthy, may not be even feeling good whatsoever, their thoughts are consumed by food, you know, like you don't actually know what's going on beneath the surface. Yeah, and I saw a reel the other day that I thought was beautiful. It was all these women, and they were just flashing them on on the screen. And they were basically wearing just like a bikini or whatever. And all of them were different sizes. And then at the very end, it said, would you believe they're all the same weight? And so Mm. it kind of hammered home of, just because you view yourself as different than someone else doesn't mean that you're different in a bad way. We're all meant to be different and and embrace the good parts about what you are. This is what upsets me as just someone online trying to encourage and inspire people is why put yourself down about one area that you supposedly have failed in, weight generally being the thing that people get upset about, but you forget about inflammation lowering and blood sugar stabilizing and mood stabilizing and you feel good in your own skin, you got lots of energy, all the good things that happen, why do we throw all of that out the window? That's a belief that those things don't matter and only the weight matters. How do you, how do you change that? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, with any belief that's holding us back, how do you change a belief that's holding you back? And I think it's through asking yourself a better set of questions. Uh, One of the one of the things that attracted me the most to life coaching was this idea of we are all just one powerful question away from a transformation. It's literally just one mindset shift can change the rest of the course of your life. We've all had maybe Maybe we've all had it happen in one way, shape, or form. But yeah, one day you're listening to a sermon or you're listening to a podcast and something just clicks and you start thinking about it differently. What a beautiful gift in life that we have the ability to change our minds, that we truly can transform. And for those from a Christian faith, you know, we believe like we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. And so it really does start with your mind um, and your entire reality can change just by asking yourself a different question, just by looking at something in a totally different way than what you've been accustomed to looking at it before. And so I think asking yourself better questions. And before we wrap up today, I am going to share four questions with your audience that you can ask to go through any belief. But generally, I find and this is helpful with yourself, but also with other people, because your brain is going to give you an answer to the question that you ask. So if you ask the question, why does this have to be so hard? Your brain is going to give you a list of reasons. If you ask your brain the question, what's wrong with me? your brain's going to give you a list of answers to that question. But if you say, how can I overcome this? Who does this sound like? You know, maybe it's not mine. You know, like you can start to loosen um, the grip that this has on you just by asking yourself a better set of questions. And this is helpful in your interactions with other people too. Don't ask why questions. It immediately puts people on defense. 
I've learned as a life coach, like, don't ever say why, like, <laughs> what makes, why do you say that? Or, you know, why do you feel that way or whatever? Instantly people get defensive. It's much better to ask what questions or how questions. And part of your beliefs is you mold them over in your head over and over and over and over again. Then you get reinforcement from friends who you have chosen because very likely they have that same belief that you have. So you get reinforcement externally. This is hard. Like that is mm -hmm. a that is an uphill battle trying to yeah. shift that belief that's so firmly ingrained. And I've got one of those brains that when I think of things, I think and I think, and I think over and over and over again, I can remember things from years ago and it just reverberates as if it's happening right now. And, and so yeah. that's difficult for people. And then they get the reinforcement from friends and outside forces that say, yeah, that belief is right. And like you said, yeah. it's on religious lines, political lines, diet lines, it goes across the board in all of yeah. life. Yeah, you're exactly right. And that is how you establish a belief is through rehearsal. Repetition is how you ingrain something into your brain is through repetition. And so a lot of us, the repetition that has happened surrounding these beliefs wasn't chosen by us. Again, it was when we were a child and this message was kind of drilled into our heads, either explicitly or implicitly. And then what happens is once you form that belief, um, this is very interesting. And it's not woo woo, it's real. This is neuro about neuroplasticity and neuroscience. There's actually a region of the brain that we can see on brain scans and detect it. And it is called the reticular activating system. And the reticular activating system is essentially your brain's filter. So we have so much stimuli coming in through our five senses all the time. We can't possibly pay attention to all of it and process all of it. It wouldn't serve us from a survival mechanism. So, you know, and this is very illustrated by like the concept of tunnel vision. So as soon as you start to feel threatened, um, even more information gets deleted out of your attention span. So like, you know, if there's like, you know, somebody that looks like they're going to attack you in front of you down the street, you're not going to hear the birds tweeting in the background or whatever, like literally like you just get tunnel vision on that threat. And so right. this is a great example of how the reticular activating system is serving to keep you safe. So it's blocking out information that it deems to be irrelevant. And it's placing front and center evidence that it thinks is relevant to you. Your brain is saying, this is, pay attention to this. This is important. And so a way that we can actually change the brain is through priming our reticular activating system. Yes. So we can tell our brain what to pay attention to. And a really simple example is when we um, are maybe shopping for a new car. So let's just say that you want to buy a red sedan. And you're looking up prices and you're comparing and all these things. And now you're driving down the street and all of a sudden you see red sedans everywhere. Like, oh my gosh, I never realized how many red sedans, everybody drives a red sedan. No, it's not that there are more red sedans than there used to be. It's that your brain is now showing them to you through your brain's filter because you've primed your brain to say, this is relevant. This is pay attention to this now. So when people get so deeply entrenched in their beliefs, um, it's because uh, your reticular activating system is always everywhere showing you examples that reinforce that belief. And it's literally deleting evidence that that belief could, could be wrong. It's blocking it out for you as a survival mechanism. So you actually have to have, first of all, a sense of safety, and then you need to prime your brain. So you need to like challenge yourself to look at different perspectives and different opinions. If it's something that you want to do, the first step is to just take a little bit of curiosity. And then once you prime your brain, um, you know, if you're saying something like, oh, my life sucks, everything is so hard, then that's the lens that you're going to see everything in your day. But if you start your day with gratitude, like, oh, everything is abundant. I have blessings to me coming all the time. By the end of the day, you're going to have some examples of that being true. 
So it really is about priming your brain and it's totally doable. Have you experienced the dreaded keto flu? Did you know that most of these symptoms are actually due to your body dumping excess electrolytes? This is where Element comes in. Element is a tasty electrolyte drink mix with everything you need and nothing you don't. That means lots of salt with no sugar. Element is formulated to help anyone with their electrolyte needs and is perfectly suited to folks following a keto, low-carb, or paleo diet. Element contains a science-backed electrolyte ratio, 1,000 milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams potassium, and 60 milligrams of magnesium with none of the junk, no sugar, no coloring, no artificial ingredients, no gluten, no fillers, no BS. Everyone needs electrolytes, especially those on low-carb diets or if you practice intermittent or extended fasting. If you're physically active or sweat a lot, add Element today and see how much better you feel and perform. Use the URL drinklmnt.com slash Jimmy. I love that concept, Jess. And I would even say a good healthy practice would be to constantly ask yourself what you believe and why you believe it. Challenging your beliefs, not to say that they're wrong. You may end up yeah. saying, well, yeah, I still believe the same thing. But challenge it. Ask yourself, okay, why do I believe that? Um, has anything changed that has changed my mind about why or why I should not uh, believe that? It just seems like a healthy practice that you can do internally. Obviously, you're mm -hmm. not doing that with friends. Like you said, don't ask, don't ask other people why you believe yeah. that. They're going to feel threatened. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. But if you yourself do that, I think it makes you a better human. Yeah, it's true. But even with friends, like we do look around at the people in our lives and maybe somebody who you do have a sincere friendship with, like true love and respect, and you have a sense of safety and security with that person, you do become a little bit more open-minded to the way in which they see the world. And people yeah. can change their minds about things, but it doesn't happen sharply. Like it doesn't like, it very rarely do you go from being, um, you know, carnivore to vegan, for example, um, unless there's like, it, it, if it can be really crazy, fear-based, you know, total, um, you know, in your face manipulation. Yeah, some of that stuff that some of that propaganda can change your mind overnight, usually through fear is what happens. But generally, we move an inch at a time. We don't completely shift 180 degrees. We move one degree at a time when we're changing our minds about something, whether it's political, whether it's religious, whether it's, um, you know, cultural, whatever, um, with people that we disagree with. And it's good to remember that the true is same with ourselves. We need to give ourselves a little bit of grace on that journey, realizing that we will probably move one degree at a time. We're not going to instantly change overnight. And I'll tell you, I do have strong friendships like that where I know they have influenced me, not in a coercive way, but yeah. in a, hey, this is what I believe. What do you think? And it's like, okay, I'd love and trust this person. Yeah. Let me kind of listen and do some research. Whereas if it was some rando on the internet and said, you you idiot, you should just believe this. And yeah, well, yeah. off. I'm not going to exactly. have a day. Um, so the, the deliverer of that change in belief does matter. Um, and 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 ho I hope vice versa that I've influenced this person, and I know I have, and she has me. So it's like that's helpful when you know you've yeah. got people in your life. But that that's the context of it. It could yeah. be the message from some random person, 
or this person that you know, care about, and love sincerely, which one's going to be more powerful at changing your belief? It's obviously that friend or loved one yeah. that you feel very close to. It's so true. And, you know, we can apply that to ourselves in the way that we practice self-talk. Like a lot of us are talking to ourselves like a troll on the internet, you know, <laughs> we're practicing hate speech inside of ourselves by saying like, what the hell is wrong with you? Get yourself together, blah, 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 blah. Like you're so wrong, you idiot. You're so stupid. You know, we talk to ourselves like this instead of talking to ourselves with curiosity, gentleness, compassion, the way a friend would talk to you if they did disagree with you, if they could maybe see some holes in your um, belief system or ways that that might be harming you unintentionally, a good friend would be like, huh, that's so interesting that you see it that way. Who taught you that? Where did that come from? Yes. How has this played out in your life? You know? And so we need to talk to ourselves that way as well. This friend in my life does exactly that. And mm -hmm. I adore her for it and vice versa. I speak to her and same thing. She's like, oh, ooh. And it like you can see like the light bulb go on of now they understand uh, whereas, again, some rando would, would not uh, get through quite like that. Well, I want to go through those four ways, uh, four questions that you rewire your brain with. And let's go slowly. Yeah. Let's kind of have a tit for tat as you go over them. So what's the first one? Definitely. Before we do it, I think we should probably pick an example of a belief. Because okay. I think that would be really helpful. Um, have you had a belief that you've had to overcome in your life surrounding food, weight, body image? Oh, a ton of them. I mean, let's go back to the very beginning. I thought saturated fat was going to clog my arteries back in mm -hmm. the day. So that freaked me out when I first started on the Atkins diet many months yeah. ago. So yes, that would be a good example. Yeah. Okay. So maybe not like one that's like fact-based or scientific-based, but like something that maybe like you were taught as a kid, like um, about the world, about food and weight, being a I failure. Yeah, that your weight is the only factor that matters in your Yes. Great. Okay. So my weight is the um, main measure of my health. That's the belief. Okay. So the first question is, is it true? And when you're asking yourself this question, it's okay to say yes. Uh, and not now. I believed right. it, but I don't believe it now. <laughs> exactly. But at the time, it felt very true. Yes. So remember, when you're asking yourself this question, it's okay to say yes the first time, because remember, your brain is giving you a ton of evidence through your, through your brain filter that yes, this is true. So, you know, maybe another one would be like, I fail every diet I try. Is it true? Yes, because I have historical evidence of that being true. Okay, so it's okay to say yes. And then the second question would be, can I absolutely know that it's true? So is weight, can you absolutely know that weight is the main measure of your health? No. No, it might not be. Science sometimes has failed us. Sometimes we're learning new things every day. Maybe it's not the only measure of your health. And then your brain might start to think of examples of how might that not be true? So at that point in your life, did you have any other examples of maybe that not being true? That there was evidence that there were other factors that contributed to health, like I mean, there's so many things, genetic. Uh, uh, I had seen family members struggle with the same issue, uh, but then are healthy. And then other people struggle with the same issue with weight and they were unhealthy. So you had kind yeah. of an dichotomy of evidence. Yeah, absolutely. It seems baffling sometimes that like, here's this guy in his forties running marathons, eating vegetarian, and all of a sudden he drops out of a heart attack. Like, 
we don't seem to understand. Now, maybe if we dig a little bit deeper, but on the surface, we're like, yeah, it doesn't really make any sense. Like, okay, Betty White, here she is eating hot dogs and drinking vodka every day or whatever, God rest her soul. But you know, that was so funny that that was like in the mainstream because here she was, she's just like, I'm just living my life. I'm doing all these things that people tell me not to do. And here I am, I'm like, you know, I'm healthy, I'm thriving. So yeah, as soon as you start to ask yourself those questions, though, that's when it loosens it. And then you can start to think of examples of like, oh, maybe that's not the ultimate truth. Um, by the way, I need to give credit where credit is due. These questions come from Byron Katie. Um, she calls this the work of self-inquiry. So again, the first question is, is this true? The second question is, can I absolutely know that it's true? The third question is, how do I think, feel, and behave when I believe that's true? So when that belief was running your life, Jimmy, how did you think, feel, and behave? If I didn't lose weight, I had failed. Uh, if I didn't lose weight, I was a moral failure. Yeah. There was something wrong with me. Um, and I even had that reinforced by like doctors. Well, you really need to lose weight. I'm trying. Well, you need to try hard. So it felt like it felt like the weight of the world was on me to get the weight off if weight was the only thing that mattered in my health. Yes, totally. And then the fourth question would be, so that's just realizing, you know, here you are seeing the harm, right? So you're seeing how this might not be serving you when you ask that question. Mm -hmm. um, and then the fourth one is, who would I be without this belief? If I didn't believe this, how would I think, feel, and behave? Right. What changed when you let go of that belief? How did you think, feel, and behave? I got happy. Like, yeah. I'm there now. Like, I, and excuse the language, but I don't give two fucks about what people yeah. think about my weight or <laughs> I, I live free. And, and I also start focusing in on all the other things that actually matter when it comes to my health. Not that the weight doesn't, but that it's not the obsession that it once was. Right, right, absolutely. And so once you can realize the benefits of who you might be without that belief, we start to feel a little bit more safety inside of ourselves. Maybe the reward is worth the risk. Yeah, it's going to be scary to let go of this belief. What might that mean? Okay, if weight wasn't the main way that I measured my health, oh, maybe I wouldn't step on the scale as much. Ooh, that gives me a little bit of anxiety. You know, like, so there are some risks and there are some ways that it would change our behavior if we were to let go of that belief. But there's also a lot of rewards. And that sounds really attractive. That sounds really interesting. That sounds really freeing. Oh, man, for those of us who are believers, like one of the things that I like to share with people the most is, where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. If you're getting a sense of freedom, oh man, follow that trail, baby, because that's where you're supposed to be. And so it sounds like letting go of that belief brought so much freedom to you. And, and, and peace and hope. Like yeah. I was always so hopeless when I mm. thought weight was the only measure of my health. And when I stopped looking at that and started quantifying in other ways, it, it was just so invigorating. It made me want to do the healthy habits even more, whereas the other belief got me discouraged. And it's why it was on a diet, off a diet, on a diet, off a diet, on a diet, off a diet, so many times. Whereas if I had just had the belief I have now, after going through those four questions that you just talked about, I would never get off because I'm always pursuing health because I see it in other ways without the prism of just the weight. Yeah. Absolutely. And so remembering, though, too, at the time that you held that belief, remembering through a lens of self-compassion, where you got that from, you know, like you didn't make that up, you know, like you never really chose to believe that it was just kind of drilled into you through like the science books, the textbooks, the health class, whatever your parents told you, whatever your doctor told you, right. And so 
you didn't choose that belief that was harmful to you. So we got to have a lens of self-compassion of where this came from. I didn't ask for this, but here are the detrimental effects of it. And now here I am an adult and I get to choose. Do I actually want to hold on to this belief or not? I get to choose, you know? And so also through the lens of self-compassion, realizing that there's a reason why you held on to it for so long. There's a protective part of you that created a, it was a sense of safety that it gave you in some way, shape or form. I'm safe as long as I'm at this weight. And then if I go past this, it's the danger zone or whatever it might be. I need to stay alive. And everybody's telling me this is how I stay alive. <laughs> like, I don't want to get sick like so-and-so and you know, this so-and-so weighed this. So therefore, you know, the correlation is not causation. And so we need to, again, just have that lens of self-compassion for ourselves that we didn't choose this belief and it has served us in some way, shape or form to hold onto it so that we can almost bank it before we let it go. It's not the enemy. It's, a, it's been an important part of our journey. There's been a lot of things that I believed in my past that I don't believe anymore. Yeah. And you kind of go through a grief process and you kind of go through a process of like, ugh, disgust, like, ugh, I hate that past yeah. version of myself. But to be able to actually make peace with it and realize, had I not had that belief, would I be doing this today? Would I feel the freedom that I feel today? You know, we can bank it. Well, and beliefs, I believe, Jess, are stepping stones yeah. to the next belief. I think we feel like whatever we believe today, we're always going to believe now and yeah. forever. And you're not growing if you do that. I think yeah. what you believe today is based on the experiences in your life up to this point, the knowledge that you've accumulated, um, the influences you've had in your life. That's what a belief is today. And 10 years from now, and 10 years ago, <laughs> far yeah. different than I was 10 years ago, and 10 years from now will be even far different than I am now. And I think I'm in a pretty good place now. And so that people have to stop fearing the changing in the belief because it's as much a part of life as you breathing another day. Yes, yes. And remembering that changing your beliefs is not the same thing as changing your core values. So your core values stayed the same the whole time. You valued physical health um, as an expression of using your life for God's glory, right? And, and maybe that's something about you that has never changed the whole time. It's just that you let go of the parts of the beliefs that were just kind of like insepidly holding you back, right? And so a lot of times beliefs, they're optional. And if they're, create, they're a source of suffering, you're the only one who's, um, you know, co-signing on that suffering. You know, we can acknowledge that. Okay, I'm going to take responsibility for that. I'm going to, from an empowered place, I want to change this. And so then how do you actually change it? Now that you realize you want to change it, um, you practice a turnaround statement. What is the new belief that you attached yourself to that you realized would be a more helpful story? So what do you believe now is the measure of health? Or how did your, how did your view on weight change? I, I don't weigh myself anymore. I, I wake up with a positive mindset that Hey, I'm doing healthy choices. I'm getting in a freaking ice bath every day. So I'm yeah. I'm doing something that most people would never do that's making me mentally stronger. And that to me is an important part of health that I never yeah. valued before. It was all about the physicality and how I look. So I'm more interested in kind of the mental aspects, the brain enhancing, the inflammation lowering, which yes, losing weight would help with. And obviously all of these things, hopefully, Hopefully, someday, yeah. we'll make that scale start to move. I won't know because I'm not stepping on one. So yeah. in the meantime, just keeping a positive mindset about everything while I'm working on all these other parts of my life. Yes, absolutely. And so maybe your turnaround statement is, 
while I pursue health from a holistic point of view, weight loss will be a natural side effect. Yeah. It's not the measure of health. It is the side, it is the natural byproduct of, of, of health and it takes time. Yeah. And so what we want to do is we want to create an affirmation um, or create, we, we create a turnaround statement. We try on the opposite. And, you know, so instead of my body is fighting me, oh my, no, actually my body is serving me. How does that feel? Instead of, you know, I failed all the diets, oh, the diets all failed me. Yes. You know, like, uh, <laughs> so we practice a turnaround, practice the opposite. How does that feel? Right. I was working with a client um, who basically was saying, I just want to live a normal life or like this idea of why can't I eat normal and just be skinny like everybody else. Yeah. And her child was having some health complications and, you know, God bless her holistic health practitioner was like, you got to get sugar out, you know? And so now here she is getting some leverage because her child's health is now on the line and it's going to benefit her and her child and everybody in the family to get sugar out. But here she is still wrestling with, I just want my child to live a normal life though. And so we explore, is it true? Is that a normal life? Is that a normal way to eat? Actually, no, it's not. Um, right. Compared to the course of human history, it's not. Is it true that everybody else is skinny? No, two out of every three people are not at a healthy weight, you know? And so is it true? Absolutely not. And how do you think, feel, and behave? Like, okay, so we realize the opposite um, is, is that I do eat normally. Everybody else eats abnormally, right? Or we realize what I'm really saying is, um, I want to eat, a, I want to eat common foods, not normal foods. That's what we're actually saying. And so I was able to ask her like, well, every time you feel like, um, I want my child to live a normal life, maybe you should say, do I want my child to live a common life? How does that feel? Cause that's what you're actually saying when you're saying, I want my child to eat common foods like everybody else. It's not to live a normal life. In fact, your chance of your child living a normal life, as far as like, optimal brain function, optimal health, optimal functioning in society, all of these things, that's a normal life. And the yeah. only way that that's going to happen is by eating abnormally, which is really eating normally, if you look at the course of human history. The funny one is when people say, oh my gosh, I can never have carbs again. <laughs> and I'm just like, but you get steak. <laughs> and bacon and butter. And bacon. <laughs> and it's like, those are forbidden on every diet but yours. And then you, they're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> so you, you can make it a negative or you can make it a positive. I, I can never have or look what I get to have. Absolutely. Yeah. Or, you know, keto is true restrictive. I like to use the word boundaries instead of restrictions. I practice boundaries in what I eat the same way that I practice boundaries of self-care in the rest of my life. I have high standards across the board for my, for my own self-care. And so shifting from restrictive, you know, restrictive kind of implies that somebody else is telling you what to do. A boundary is something that you set for yourself to keep yourself safe, to make yourself, make your life better. And so when we change our language, we change our perception of the situation. And so once you've created kind of an affirmation statement, then you got to repeat that like crazy. You got to like practice that every day, put it on a sticky note, put it on your mirror, incorporate it into your morning routine, um, say it when you're on your drive, like whatever, write it in your gratitude practice every day, rehearse, 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 rehearse. And it's okay when the old belief rears its ugly head, it will. I've done so much work on myself. One of my limiting beliefs like has always been, I should have known better. Whenever I make a mistake, yes. that pops into my head, I should have known better. But in the past, that thought would first of all, pop into my head, and then I would believe it, not question it, and then spiral out for days or weeks at a time, right? Now that thought pops into my head and I realize I am not that thought. 
who does this thought sound like? Mm, sounds a lot like the perfectionist authoritarian caregivers yep. that I had. Okay, that's not me. I didn't choose to have that conditioning. Um, I'm the wise, um, I'm the wise, compassionate observer of my thoughts. I'm not my thoughts. I don't have to believe this thought. And then I will take it through the four steps. Is that true that I should have known better? No, how could I possibly have known better? I've never gone through this situation before. And so I'll practice this with myself all the time. But I just want to remind people that it's not, um, it's not like you're never going to have that thought again, even when you do this belief work. It's just that you're so much less attached to it and you know how to recover from that much more quickly. This yeah. was some good stuff today, Jess. Thank you so much for being here. Jess Reed is her name, you guys. The Keto Fit. And she Thank is a you. Keto coach. Uh, definitely has a lot of life coaching, as you can hear from her uh, voice here today. Click on the little link tree. Takes you to all her stuff. Uh, you can get signed up for uh, her next class, get info. You've got all kinds of both information about keto, but also a lot of mindset stuff. Uh, she mm -hmm. also own podcast called self-care keto podcast yep. we'll, uh, check that out and uh, i know she would love to hear from you but jess thank, thank you, you. <laughs> it was a pleasure to have you back here today for another jaunt another another mindset deep dive we yeah. need a lot of, something tells me you'll be back again sometime <laughs> oh i would love that jimmy freaking more i'm so floored every time i get to talk to you because like you you were like a celebrity to me when I first started eating keto. And I remember the first time you talked to me on Clubhouse, I was like, who is this kind, nice, just real person? He you called me after we talked on Clubhouse. Like, you guys, Jimmy's the real deal. I'm just so grateful for you. Thank you. The wait is almost over. The One Step Deeper Journal, The Foundations, written by Jimmy Moore and Brittany Davis, is set to release any day now. Head on over to onestepdeeperjournal.com and type in your name and email address. And as soon as it's available for purchase, we will let you know. onestepdeeperjournal.com. Did you go keto and thought you had to give up wine? Well, let me introduce you to Dry Farm Wines. It is the world's first sugar-free alcohol that is lower than your typical wines, organic, made at local farms that do it the right way. Most of the wines that you buy are from three really big companies, loaded with additives and preservatives, so many dozens of those kinds of things. You don't want all that junk in your wine. So go to dryfarmwines.com slash Jimmy, and they will ship you these wines. And just because you listen to this podcast, Dry Farm Wines is going to give you a bottle in your first order for just one cent. Go to dryfarmwines.com slash Jimmy and uh, you will get your bottle of wine for just one singular penny. Go check them out. Dry Farm Wines, you guys. It's wine o'clock somewhere. Let's go get some wine.